Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. It's awfully nice to be back here with you and always nice to have a little bit of a break in the action to give uh, the batteries a little uh, uh, chance to recharge and always great to just uh, get some rest and spend some time in the Word and and just take a break, which was what many of us did here at Faith Radio over uh, the Christmas holiday was very nice. And because we are on a university campus, a lot of the students are uh, as well, as well, they are not here. So uh, it makes for a kind of a perfect timing altogether. Now, I wonder if over the Christmas and New Year's holidays, there were some discussions, some uh, maybe even some arguments. Maybe you tried to be logical with your loved ones and things didn't go well. And you know how that ends up. Usually uh, arguments uh, break down and then all of a sudden they don't get up and they don't get uh, back where you are having a nice discussion. So we're going to figure out today how to do that better. And we're going to have a a professor and theologian, Ken Samples, as our guest. He loves helping people and he helps me all the time. He gets to, uh, he comes on the show once a month and it really does help me. He is uh, at reasons.org and he is the author of several books, including classic Christian Thinkers, Seven Truths That Changed the World and God Among Sages. And he's back with us today. Ken, welcome back. Hi, Bill. Good to talk with you. Yeah. Happy New Year. Did you uh, enjoy the holidays and all that went well in your world? Yes. Yeah. Very, very nice. Uh, 2020 was a tough year. I'm I'm hoping and praying for a good, uh, a better year for the whole world. Yeah. Oh, are we all? Well, I'm so intrigued with our topic today, and I know listeners will be as well. Um, So we talk about logical arguments. Maybe we should start with just asking, what is a logical argument? Yeah, that's a great place to start, because typically when we think of an argument, we think of a spat, you know, a heated disagreement that you get in with your spouse or Mm -hmm. with your parents. But that's not a logical argument. Mm -hmm. You can have a logical argument and your jugular vein doesn't have to pop out. Your face doesn't have to get red. Uh, a logical argument is where you make a claim that something is true or something is the case, and then you provide support for why that's the case. So in a logical argument, you make a claim. We call that the conclusion. And the support, the evidence, is are called the premises. And Or you can think of it this way, a a logical argument is a supported opinion. If all if all you have is an opinion, opinions are okay. I've got plenty of them. We all have lots of opinions. But what you need to do to an opinion to turn it into an argument is give some good evidence that that opinion is correct. Mm-hmm. So you're going to need your, your premises, right? You're going to need to have um, your statement of truth and right. your conclusion. Yeah, that's that's right. It, an argument really is, it, it sounds complicated, but it's really simple. You make a claim and you seek to back it up. The claim is your conclusion. 
your support, your evidence, those are called premises. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, the next question I have for you, uh, Ken, is why do these arguments um, break down so easily? And why, yeah, very, why do they fall apart so quickly? Very important. Um, Aristotle, who we call the father of logic, he wasn't the first one to think logically, but he was the first one to systematize the principles of logic. So we give him that exalted title, the father of logic. Um, I think arguments break down because logic is really all about ordered thinking. If you think, if your order of thought follows a good pattern, you're going you're gonna to do well. But a, a lot of times, uh, the, the problem you and I have and the problem your listeners have is, is not that you don't think. The Lord has given us a good mind. Uh, we can do that. The problem we have is we're inconsistent. We're not careful. And and arguments, Bill, can break down for a variety of reasons. You know, sometimes they're not they're not relevant. You know, um, I'm a baseball fan. I might say the Dodgers are the best baseball team. And by the way, they did win the World Series. But I might say, for example, well, the Dodgers are the best baseball team because their home uniforms are red, white, and blue. <laughs> well, the Dodgers are a good team, but a red, white, and blue uniform, that's irrelevant. You need to say something about what? Their pitching, their hitting, yeah. their maybe, defense. Maybe they have four of the best players in the league on the team. There you go. Now, those are relevant facts. Those are relevant data. So, so one way it can break down is that your premises are not relevant to the conclusion. Um, an, another way an argument can break down, Bill, is by by lacking clarity. You know, for example, maybe your evidence is ambiguous. It, it, it's open to multiple ways of looking at it, uh, or it's just blurred or fuzzy. That's another way an argument can break down. And another way is just not having enough evidence in support of your conclusion. It's not adequate. So those are three very, uh, those are three ways that arguments commonly break down. All right. So I like that. It's very helpful to start building a little bit of a framework because I think many of us are going to need to learn exactly what you're going to be teaching us today, Ken, just as a, this will be very helpful. So, um, Let's talk a little bit more about logical persuasion. Um, there are five C's, right? Yeah, I have a, a little article. Uh, I've called it the five-point logic checklist. And uh, the way I remember it is all five of them start with the letter C. So uh, these, I think, are are very, very helpful and very, very meaningful. For example, whenever I write a write an article where I'm for, I'm framing an argument, maybe I'm working on a book, or maybe I'm going to give a talk and use a PowerPoint presentation. I go through my five-point logical checklist. Uh, number one, is it clear, right? Um, l- arguments break down because uh, it's not clear what I'm saying. And so I try, I try very much, especially when I'm dealing with complicated issues, Bill, I try to state it as clearly and simply as I can. There is, there's power and force in taking a complicated idea and speaking about it in very clear terms. Uh, but, you know, if I, if I equivocate, that is, I use words in multiple ways, like, you know, the word bank, well, that's a place you get money, uh, but it may also be by the river, 
uh, or it may be something you do with a basketball. Uh, words have multiple meanings. You don't want to equivocate. You don't want to be ambiguous. You want to be very clear. That's, so that's the first C. Number two is be concise. Uh, a lot of times when we're long-winded, uh, it loses, our argument loses focus and force. So I try to be very succinct. Um, I, you know, I think of C.S. Lewis, for example, when uh, during World War II, he would go to Air Force bases and talk to the young guys uh, about Christianity. He realized that he couldn't do Oxford speak to these young kids. <laughs> mm -hmm. He learned that very quickly. And Lewis said uh, he thought genius was the ability to take complicated ideas and speak about them in, with great clarity. So that's my goal, uh, clear, concise. Third is cogent. That simply means, is my argument well-conceived? Is it, is it thought out carefully? Is it well-evidenced? Do I have enough evidence? Do I have enough of the right kind of evidence? So cogent is a really key word. That means there's a, a solid connection between my conclusion and my premises. So uh, clear, concise, cogent. And then four, consider, have I considered counter evidence? I, I like to tell my students, um, always ask yourself, what's the best argument on the other side? Maybe, you know, maybe during Christmas, New Year's, you're, you're talking politics, you're, you're talking about uh, COVID, you're talking about all kinds of things. What's the best argument on the other side and how would you respond to it? So uh, I use the word consider, consider counter evidence. And then the fifth C is the word compelling. Uh, a lot of times people are compelled when you have a skillful use of language, when you use metaphors, storytelling. I mean, if I can note C.S. Lewis again, Bill, uh, a lot of times people were more compelled by his stories of Narnia than they were by his straight, you know, apologetic or philosophical type of arguments. So those are my five C's, and I kind of use them as a checklist. And again, uh, I think the problem you and you and I have and everybody has is not that we don't think or think well, it's that we're not careful and consistent in the way that we think. And so the checklist is intended to help. Mm -hmm. Ken, I was talking about this with an earlier guest today, but I was asking about absolute truths. And if there are fewer absolute truths in a, in a world filled with pluralism and relativism, does it not become more difficult to make your statement and have your supporting evidence? Yes, I think that we we live. Uh, I think we live the zeitgeist of our time, mm -hmm. the spirit of the age, if you will. I think is one of of relativism, both in in truth and morality, and and so people will talk about, well, that's your truth as opposed to right. my truth, or good is you know only in the eye of the beholder. What's interesting, though, Bill, is uh, I say I would say the first and second century in Rome, that was very similar. So it's not that Christians have not encountered relativistic thinking, but I definitely think you're on the money. That's why we need to be even more careful about being clear, being concise, being cogent, and being able to point out when somebody is presenting to us an argument that's faulty, that breaks apart. Mm -hmm. 
All right, let me take a little break. Uh, Professor Ken Samples is my guest. We're talking about uh, a logical argument, and I bet you've got questions, or if you would like something clarified, let me know what it is, and I will ask on your behalf. The number to text is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. Professor Ken Samples is my guest, and we are talking about how to make a persuasive, logical argument. Ken, I, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of uh, pick the, tar- the, the turkey carcass of these five C's we just went through. I want to ask some more questions about it. When you say you need to be clear and c- concise, uh, is it best to do how much prep in advance of of having a conversation with somebody? Because h- how much should be... Th- put in words on paper and you should be as as intentional as possible to be clear and concise yeah i i think that uh you know i I think the checklist is is really not only a way of remembering these things but but kind of putting us in a situation where hey i um i'm going to talk to you about something i think is very important and for christians truth is sacred and and of course, God is truth. Jesus claimed to be the truth. Therefore, we want to be able to handle truth very carefully. Uh, I think some logical organization. I mean, I've been teaching logic now for more than 30 years, Bill. And uh, whenever I teach, it's not necessarily the religion classes or the philosophy classes. It's always the logic critical thinking class where students come back to me and they say, wow, I feel empowered. I feel like I have some skills, I have some tools that can actually help me uh, communicate my ideas and do so in a persuasive way. And if you're not clear, people just don't know. If people come away from your presentation or your discussion or your article or, or your discussion on a talk show, and they're not clear about what your conclusion is or unclear uh, about what your premises are, you're not going to persuade anyone. And if you are long-winded and you're all over the place, they're going to say, "Wow, I, you know, you need focus." And and again, um, I have found I have lots of philosopher colleagues, and I go to philosophy conferences, and we philosophers use jargon. And Bill, I've discovered that if you are really clear careful, concise, that has a certain logical power all of all in its own. And, and I want to be able to reach not just other philosophers, I want to reach everyone mm-hmm. uh, with my good ideas. Mm-hmm. So if I were to say something clear and concise, like um, abortion is wrong because all human life is sacred. Now, would the word because be the part of my short, clear, concise sentence that says, here is the premise, and then here is the conclusion. Yeah, because is a good word, because the word because is a premise indicator. Uh, I believe abortion is immoral. It's morally wrong because, now I'm going to give you my evidence, 
because every human life is sacred. Yeah, you, you have you have made a, a statement uh, where you've set forth your claim, your conclusion, abortion is morally wrong. Why? Well, because human life is sacred, and to take human life uh, is 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 immoral. So yes, I, I think what's clear about that is you've stated your your conclusion. And you have immediately moved people to the reason why you've drawn that conclusion. Mm -hmm. You're moving in your premises. Yeah. So how do we best identify our conclusion in an argument? If we're going to try to make a persuasive argument, do we do we use words like therefore or this means that or I mean, do we do we just have to be crystal clear when we're making an argument? Yeah, it's it's so important to it's so important that people know what you're claiming. What are you trying to prove? I oh, yeah, mean, that's what, that's what it's about. What are you trying to prove? And if people walk away from it thinking, I, I don't know what you're really trying to prove. I don't know. I'm confused between your premises and your conclusion. No, that's why you want to state it up front. Uh, sometimes, sometimes my conclusion will be the first statement. Other times I'll give premises and then I'll say, therefore, thus, just as because since or because those are premise indicators, thus or therefore are conclusion indicators. Th that is, that's the language of conclusion. Therefore, thus, whether you put your whether you put your conclusion first or in the middle or at the end, it, it needs to be clear to people what you're trying to prove. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's critical if we're going to make a persuasive argument or, and have it be logical, right? That's right. Yeah. The, worst, the worst thing would be for people to walk away and say, I don't know what Bill's trying to say. <laughs> they say that every day <laughs> on the show. I get text messages all the time. But if we're making a statement, let's just use uh, something like um, public libraries are, libraries are important um, and we should, we should fund them uh, because they provide um, learning for all ages, and it's also a very safe place for people to gather and read and get resources and have access yeah. to Internet if you don't have a computer at home. So yeah. what the, the premise would be that, that the, the libra libraries are, are great learning resources and places where people can go get their email and use resources they're also a safe place. Therefore, the conclusion should be we should fund these, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're essentially saying um, public libraries are important and they should be funded. That's Why? Just an well, example. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, this is a place where people can go and get information. This is where people can go who don't have a lot of money. This is a place where they can, they can tap in and get Wi-Fi. Uh, this is a public good. Therefore, take out your wallet. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love in the five C's, can you talk about counter evidence? What is the best argument on the other side? I'd love for you to say more about that. Yeah, you know, it's 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 very important because I, I think, Bill, it's it is uh, it's very easy, especially as you grow older, to not consider other views. You, you, you know, sometimes you, you like listening to people that agree with you. You watch television programs of people who agree with you 
mean, politics is is a is a good example of this. You know, um, what I like to do is to say, well, look, I, I know what I think, but I know there are smart people on the other side, and I'm I'm kind of puzzled why they would draw a different conclusion. So I want to ask, what is one of the the most thoughtful people on the other side, and what is the very best argument that they've got? And so because I don't want to accept the confirmation bias where I only hear people who support me, I go looking, I do some investigating, and I try to find people, you know, not not people who are extreme, not people who who don't, you know, reason well. I try to pick the very best example of the alternative position, and then I try to identify what is the very best argument against my position and how would I respond? Now, when I do this with students, maybe they're taking a, a logic class or an ethics class with me. I say, okay, deal with abortion or deal with capital punishment or deal with war, make your case. But at the end, I want you to tell me what the very best argument is against your position and how you'd respond. Bill, I, I'll tell you, almost every time they come back and say, you know, I didn't know there was such a good argument over there. I had to really, I had to really think it through. This helps a lot when when we can step outside of ourselves, when we can uh, try to be objective and say, look, there, there's probably a person on the other political side of the coin, not an extreme position, but but a thoughtful position. And I want to listen and, and, and see what the best argument was. Uh, here's a here's an example for me. Um, I think Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated President Kennedy, and I don't think he had any help. But there are people who believe in a conspiracy. They believe that somebody helped Oswald, or, or maybe Oswald didn't do it, and there are other people, there are other shooters. So I thought to myself, you know, there are some thoughtful people that believe in conspiracies. Well, who's the best thinker over there? And uh, I went through a kind of a a list, and I found a guy that I thought was very thoughtful and reflective. I read two of his books. Uh, he was thoughtful. He was careful. He did raise some questions in my mind. In in the end, I didn't I, I didn't accept his conclusion, but I thought to myself, you know what? I I've I've done my homework because I can tell you who is the best thinker on the other side, and I can identify what I think that argument is. And here's why I don't accept it. Mm, so smart. Professor Ken Samples is my guest. He's a theologian uh, and philosopher. We're talking about how to make a persuasive argument today. If you have a question or a comment, or if you'd like something clarified that we've already said, let me know what it is. Send a text to 877-933-2484. Otherwise, we'll be right back with Ken in just a few minutes.
so glad to be back with Professor Ken Samples. He's a philosopher and a theologian. From You can learn more about him at reasons.org. He's also author of several books, including Classic Christian Thinkers, Seven Truths That Changed the World and God Among Sages. We're talking about uh, how to make a persuasive, logical argument. And Ken, I got some uh, listener comments coming in, so this will be good. Um, but can you uh, can you reason someone into accepting Christianity? Again, a very good question. Um, Bill, I would say that the very best Christian thinkers through the centuries, whether it's Athanasius in the East or Augustine in the West or Luther and Calvin in the Protestant part of the church, all of the great thinkers have said that salvation comes by grace. So it's, it's never merely an intellectual, rational argument. There's evidence. There's good reasons. But God's grace has to be operative. So it's not merely talking somebody into it. It is presenting a case, a, a claim, a conclusion, giving premises, but allowing God to work on that person's heart, mind, and soul. And, and so I would say that uh, God's grace uses reason and evidence, but it's never merely just a rational discussion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think of people the night the Titanic sank and there were lifeboats, and if you want to live, you get on a lifeboat. Yeah, that's, uh, that's compelling. Pretty compelling. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, uh, you know, and, and I think there are times where, where and, and notice you stated that very clear, very concisely. You got right to the point. Man, this, this ship's going down. The only <laughs> way I'm going to survive is getting on one of those boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A listener jumped in with this. What are some key words that show your discussion partner just wants to argue with you and isn't really interested in what you're discussing? Well, that's that is a concern, and that that is something that happens. Uh, it happens on the web. It happens in social media. It happens in our discussions at school, at work, at home. Um, I I think that we should try to give our our opponent, our opponent in this argument, I think we should give him the benefit of the doubt. That is, I don't think we should conclude immediately that, you know, they're they're uh, trolling, they're just trying to press my buttons, or they're not open to reason. I think we should give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, and maybe point out, hey, you know, that comment was a little uh, uh, unacceptable. Let's try to get back onto the issue. Uh, but yeah, it does happen where there are discussions where I think they've reached a point where, you know, there really isn't an exchange taking place. But as a Christian, I, I try not to be too quick about that. And I try to practice what I call the golden rule of apologetics. Uh, treat other people's beliefs the way you want yours treated. It doesn't mean you accept what other people say, but it, it means you treat them with respect. You're fair-minded. Uh, you 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 extend the benefit of the doubt. Um, I think that shows grace, and I think it shows uh, grace in the way you think about uh, truth, and and I think God is honored by that, and I think non-Christians will take notice of it. Mm-hmm. And Ken, I've uh, learned that there are a lot of smart people that have different understandings of certain uh, pieces of biblical text. Um, it's not the things that uh, not not the the places where I would say, well, that's critical that you believe this a certain way, but 
There's obviously areas of interpretation where you have differences of opinions with people, and I guess you try to keep your emotions low, huh? That's really good. I mean, that's very important. I mean, there there is the biblical text, uh, and then there's how we read it and how we interpret it and how we understand it, and the the assumptions and presumptions we bring to it. So there are things happening there. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think if there's going to be a meeting of the minds, um, it's going to, it's going to take a little, it's going to take some give and take, and it's going to take some patience. And uh, yeah, people have, they bring to things their particular perspectives. So I think what you said is is right on target, and you know sometimes your arguments are not going to persuade because persuasion depends upon things that are more than just reason and arguments. I mean, you know, for example, uh, there are times where people are just dead set against something, and uh, I don't I don't think that that's reasonable. You know, they they may. Uh, they may be prejudiced towards something. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but a- again, persuasion is more than mere arguments. And um, I think sometimes by the way we conduct ourselves, uh, that's why Peter says, "Be always be ready to give to every man an answer, a reason for the hope that you have, First Peter 3.15. But he says, do it with gentleness and respect and keep a clear conscience. Mm. Ken, I had a listener say, I've had an argument with a lot of people saying that a lot of words in Scripture are wrong. I get a a lot of arguments about it, and I just believe with faith that everything is basically right in the Bible. So how do I come to terms when you're in that that logical back and forth? Well, it's not always easy. I mean, I... uh... I've talked with a lot of people in my life who who don't accept Christianity. Um, you know, there are Jehovah's Witnesses who knock on the door and they tell me that the Trinity is wrong, that Jesus is not God. Um, I talk with uh, atheists who say that God is an illusion. Um, the only thing we we should accept is you know naturalistic evolution. But those are those are sometimes not easy conversations to have. There are people, sometimes there are liberal scholars who tell me that my interpretation of the biblical text is mistaken. Again, those are not always easy conversations to have. But I, I think we can we can approach the biblical text and say, look, uh, I'm reading the biblical text. I'm trying to understand its context. I'm trying to understand maybe what the the background language is this Greek or Hebrew? Um, you know, am I am I engaged in what we would call exegesis? Am I leading out the passage rather than reading into the passage? Um, you don't have to be an expert on the Bible to be able to communicate the message of Scripture, and to show that you're being you're being careful and you're being discerning. Um, one thing I don't want people to think, Bill, is that if you kind of learn how to present a logical argument. You're never going to have any more difficulties or disagreement. Mm-hmm. You know, some, sometimes people are just not open to being persuaded. But of course, that someone might be me. I might have to go back and say, "Well, am I being fair here? Am I being am I being reasonably open to things? 
Uh, or, you know, I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes, uh, I've gotten angry. Uh, sometimes I have, uh, you know, lost my cool and, uh, I have to go back and say, uh, maybe, maybe that very disagreeable experience on Christmas day, maybe some of that was my fault. Mm-hmm. So Ken, what are some of the benefits of studying logic? Because if we study logic and we get better at understanding it and using it, then it's a, is it a weapon? Is it a tool? Is it something we use to try to manipulate or explain some of the benefits of studying logic to me? Yeah, that, that's, that's so important. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, you know, I have to tell my students sometimes I'm not teaching you logic so you can use it as a weapon and go poke people in the eye with it. I, I remember, you know, having a logic class as a, as a young guy and came home and talked to my wife who had just been married, and I, I, I identified one of her logical fallacies. I immediately realized uh, you need to be more careful than that. Um, my, my, my point here is, Bill, I think that the benefits you can get are you can discover the truth. Um, logic is not about beating people over the head with, with arguments. Logic is helping others and help yourself to discover what's what's true, what's good, what's beautiful. And I see it as a very humble thing because I I want to use my reasoning not not to badger people, not to bully people. I want to present it with clarity, with concise, very concise way. I want to consider their questions. And so I think it, you can help other people discover the truth. You can help yourself discover the truth. Um, you can be more fair and reasonable in the way that you look at life. Maybe the way you raise your kids, uh, maybe your approach to solving problems at work. I think logic is, is a very critical tool. And again, I, I think sometimes other people will come away and say, wow, uh, maybe I can learn from that. So I think that the way you think is a critical part of life. And if logic can help us to think more consistently, and if logic can help us discover what's real and true and good, wow, that's a very valuable tool to have in your tool chest. Mm-hmm. So how does the average person bone up on their logic, their logic skills? Well, there, there are some good things out there where you can use it. For example, I have an article on reasons.org, uh, your five-point logic checklist. It's free. You can download it. You can read it. You can work through it. I have a book called A World of Difference where I have four chapters on logic. And there are some really very good other books out there um, that you can read and you can study uh, and and can really help. Yeah, nice. I did download the, that article you're referring to uh, earlier today in preparation for our discussion, and I was selling copies of it in the lobby here, so that worked out pretty good for me. <laughs> well, I, I hope you're getting uh, getting a good return. Oh, yeah. I'm very, I'm very pleased with it. All right. I want to I start our discussion on, on persuasion. Uh, I want to learn, Ken, about the principles involved in persuasion, because everybody wants to be persuasive, and you can be so persuasive and have, have people go, meh, not interested. And you think, what else could I have done? Obviously, you need the Holy Spirit prompting people and opening their heart, of course. But there is a little bit of the, the, the side that we say, I, I thought I gave a pretty persuasive 
argument of the gospel. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I bring out three ideas that go back to the early Greeks, their logos, ethos, and pathos. Logos is logic. I want my logic to be careful. I want my reasoning to be cogent. Uh, I want to use logos or logic. In fact, John says in the beginning was the logos. John calls Jesus the logic of God. Interesting. Oh. Jesus, Jesus is the, 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 the voice of, of God. Ethos has to do with ethics. That means I want to be a credible source. I mean, when somebody's watching me or listening to me reason, and they start thinking, wow, he's not very, he's not honest. You know, he's manipulating. Uh, ethos has to do with ethics. I want to I want to conduct myself in a very believable way. And then pathos is where we get the words empathy and sympathy, uh, meaning that I want to pay very much attention to reaching in and uh, connecting with people so that, you know, we, we have a sense that, wow, uh, on an emotional level, he's he's touched where I'm coming from. Bill, I think logos, ethos, and pathos all play a very important role. Wh whether it's jurors in a in a jury trial, whether it's in a, a political debate, or whether it's in our discussion uh, with somebody about the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. What about when you're? talking to somebody who maybe comes from a, a tradition, a religious tradition, and they're so set in their, in their ways, and you want to present to them a, a, a logical and persuasive uh, next step that they would take maybe of faith, unlike what they've done in their mainline denomination. I'm trying to yeah. sidestep this one a little bit, but I think you know where I'm going. Yeah, I, I think... Uh... I think one thing we can do, Bill, is uh, we can learn a little bit about where they're coming from, what their views are. Um, you know, if I'm talking with somebody in another religion or I'm talking to somebody who holds a, a more liberal theological view, um, if they know that I, I understand something about where they're coming from, I think that that can help. Um, you know, I, I want to give the impression, hey, I've thought about these issues and I've and I've read other people's views, not just my own. Uh, so I'm I'm open to that. I, I think I think also um, we can ask that person and ask ourselves, what are your starting points? What are your presuppositions? Mm, uh, I like that. What influences are you bringing to the discussion? And as we look a little closer at the presumptions that you and I have, are those presumptions that we can justify? Or, you know, maybe maybe they're more emotional and less logical. Um, this isn't an easy thing, and sometimes discussions never kind of get to this point. But I think if we, if we are aware that uh, there's a difference between an argument and persuasion, uh, a person may be persuaded or not persuaded for something other than rational reasons. M maybe they, uh, again, have an emotional attachment, or maybe they have pain and suffering, or um, maybe they just don't understand 
and and so I think I think if we want to persuade someone, we want to want to labor with them, and uh, I I think we want to try to give people the benefit of the doubt rather mm-hmm. than concluding, oh, they're just a stick in the mud. Yeah. Take a little break, Pastor or uh, Pro- Professor Ken Samples is my guest, and we're going to continue our discussion on how to have a persuasive, logical argument. Be right back. back with Professor Ken Samples, philosopher, theologian, talking about how to make a persuasive, logical argument. It's been very interesting, Ken. How does faith relate to reason? Yeah, um, I, I, I think this is one where we often talk past each other. Sometimes non-believers think faith is just wishful thinking. It's hoping something is true. Uh, and sometimes Christians don't uh, appreciate that, um, you know, a non-believer, they, they have differing ideas about faith. Again, if I'm to go back to Christian history for a moment and look at some of the great Christian theologians and philosophers, um, I think the general consensus was that, that uh, uh, faith is confident trust in a reliable source. Uh, the, the very word for, for faith in the New Testament, in the Greek, pistuo, to believe, pistis, to have faith, the, the, the core of that word, Bill, is, is trust. So to have faith, in a biblical sense, is, is to have confident trust in a source that you deem reliable. So what I want to convey to the non-Christian is, look, I don't put my faith in just anything. I put I've placed my confident trust in a source that I think is reliable, uh, that is reasonable, that is trustworthy. I think that person is God, Christ. Uh, When I was a kid, um, I came to believe my parents were reliable, trustworthy. I'm sitting in a chair right now. I'm pretty confident that chair is going to hold me up. Uh, And so faith and reason are compatible, and the very definition of faith includes a rational component. I don't put my faith in just anything. I, I put my confident trust in a source that I deem to be reasonable, reliable, and trustworthy, and, and I can then introduce, here are, here are some of the arguments for the resurrection of Christ. Here are some of the arguments where he was one of the most extraordinary individuals in world history. Uh, here are some reasons why Frankly, when Jesus says it, I believe it. When you think of the expression, faith is like a leap in the dark, I, I think it was Kierkegaard or somebody that might have said that, but the, the thought then is, when is the last time you were in a pitch-dark room and what it occurred to you to do was to leap? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think that... Um, I think it's very important to to realize that uh, everybody has faith to some degree. I mean, um, even even in science, I mean, you have a hypothesis, and uh, 
you know, you haven't confirmed everything. I mean, sci science uh, changes. It's pro what we call provisional. Uh, you know, Newton had ideas. Einstein came along and changed some of those ideas. Um, to have confidence in something uh, and, and then therefore to have the idea that it's a credible source, it, it involves faith and reason. And, and I think a lot of times non-believers don't appreciate faith enough, and sometimes believers don't appreciate reason enough. Mm -hmm. And, and I, the Christian faith involves both. Yeah, when I think of Jeremiah 17, it talks about the two types of people, um, the two types of trees, and both are an illustration of someone who has faith. They have faith in themselves or they have faith in God. But every, like you say, everyone has faith. It's where you've placed your faith. Yeah, it's 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 very important. I mean, um, Jesus taught us to have faith, to trust in God, to trust in His Father, to trust in Him. In fact, He says, "If you believe in God, believe in Me." I think is a good reason to believe He's the Son of God. Um, yeah, uh, again, faith is a confident trust in a credible or a reliable source. So, uh, faith uh, might, you know. We, we may not be able to fully comprehend all of the things that were taught through faith, like the Trinity or how just Jesus could be a single person and have both a divine and human nature. But uh, because we can't totally comprehend everything doesn't mean that it's not reasonable and that our, that our faith is not careful. Yes, it's a great point. And that's studying God's Word, the lifelong journey. There's no question about that. I mean, there's something I learned every day. Yeah. We're, we're people of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, therefore, reading, thinking, interpreting, understanding, those are all intellectual virtues. Just as I want to be faithful to my wife, I want to be—I uh, don't want to steal. I uh, Also, I want to have intellectual virtues. I want to test things, discern things. I want to be honest. Uh, I want to check sources. Intellectual virtues are are very important uh, for all of us. Mm -hmm. I I always think too that there would be uh, a rash of reason that would come over people though when you hear the gospel explained and laid out before you, where if you repent of your sin and accept Christ as your Savior, you will spend eternity in heaven with God. And if you choose to not do that, you will spend eternity apart from Him. I would think a wave of reason would come over people going, uh, I'll take option A, please. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we do a similar reasoning when we, we talk about a cost-benefit analysis. You know, what? well, what's the, what's the cost of this? But what are the benefits of this? I think that's what Blaise Pascal meant in his wager. Mm -hmm. what, what do you stand to gain? What do you stand to lose? I think those are those are important considerations. It it may not be the whole thing, but yeah, I mean, if the Christian faith is true, there are repercussions of the choices that you make. But I'm also willing to give you evidence and reason. I'm willing to make an argument why I think you should think Christianity is credible, and then you can give considerations to to what your choices may mean. 
Mm-hmm. Ken, let me uh, again direct my listeners to reasons.org. They can pick up this article that you've read. Is that on the blog there? Yeah, um, I have a, a blog called Reflections, and uh, the title of my article is Five Point Logic Checklist Reflections by Ken at WordPress.com, or just mm-hmm. go to reasons.org and, and it'll come up. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's pretty easy to find. So, Ken, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show. It's always nice to talk to you. I always look forward. I always learn so much. And you're so gracious and kind. And um, you always talk in such a nice tone and demeanor. I mean, you tackle difficult things, but you always do it with such grace. So thank you for modeling that for me and others. Well, it's easy to do with you, and and I sure enjoy your listeners. They're extremely smart, aren't they? (laughs) They are. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Ken Samples has been my guest. Again, you can head to reasons.org to learn more about Ken and get his blog that he wrote. It's there at reasons.org under Reflections by Ken Samples. That is our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the listening family here. I hope you've enjoyed today's show and hope you got a lot out of it. I know I did, and I uh, hope that we can do this again tomorrow because I always look forward to Tuesdays because I'll have Rob Bluey as my opening guest and then Dr. Greg Borgon will be joining me and then uh, a whole hour with uh, Jeff Ferdoran. That's all coming up on the next afternoon show. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.